For more than five years, Deep State Radio has been on top of all the key foreign policy and national security stories impacting the world. We're grateful to our members who make all of this possible and hope that you will consider supporting our work by becoming a member. Members get access to our expanded offering of exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to participate in discussions via our member Slack community, our weekly member bonus briefs, and our DSR Daily Brief newsletter delivered to your inbox each evening at 5 p.m. Members also receive all of our content via private member feed that you can add to your podcast app of choice. Join now for just $5 per month or $50 per year. Visit thedsrnetwork.com and select Become a Member. And don't miss our upcoming mini-series featuring interviews with some of the key players from David's upcoming book, American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation. Thank you. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of our podcast. I'm David Rothkopf, your host, coming to you from New York City, New York, and we are joined today by one of the best writers and thinkers I know about anywhere. Kurt Anderson is the author of New York Times bestsellers, Evil Geniuses and Fantasyland. I thought Evil Geniuses was the best book on the origin of the current political and social situation in the United States, and there's no second best. So, hi, Kurt. How are you? Wow, let's quit. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, quit right there. And I thought just to liven up the discussion a little bit, because, you know, everybody's heard me for so much, so long, that I would uh, make this a little bit a kind of this is your life version of Deep State Radio and bring in a couple of people who've known Kurt for some time. Most of you uh, who know Kurt know that he was one of the founders of Spy Magazine, which is a high point in in magazine journalism. For those of you who are under 30, I would explain what a magazine was, but it would take too long. But it was just a great, funny, smart magazine that got Donald Trump right before a lot of other people didn't. And two of its earliest employees were Nell Scovell. Nell is a television and magazine writer, producer, director, and uh, collaborator on the number one New York Times bestseller, Lean In. Women Work, and the Will to Lead. I know. Hey, thanks for having me. Long-time listener, first-time chatter. First-time chatter. Well, we, that's our oversight. Another long-time listener who I never expected to have on the podcast is Marissa Rothkopf. Marissa writes about food for the New York Times and Publishers Weekly, among others, and is the host of our very own DSR podcast, The Secret Life of Cookies. She's also my baby sister. Hi, Marissa. Hi there. Thanks for having me. It's nice to see you this way. It's nice to see you anyway. Um, (laughs) So, Kurt, 
you might be wondering, why are we doing this? You know, <laughs> you wrote this book. It came out two years ago. And I thought maybe it could serve as a kind of a group therapy session, or maybe you have some additional insights to offer. Because I was very struck when I read Evil Geniuses that, you know, this was kind of the book I wish I had written. You know, it sort of got what was going on in America, how it started, how we got here, the sort of social corrosion that led us up into January 6th, that led us to political division that that captured the moment that we were in in 2020. And I frankly thought the fever is peaking. You know, there. I mean, there was a coup attempt. And, you know, people are going to see that this is a bad thing. There was an effort to steal an election. Democracy was on the line. You know, in the couple of days right after that, you know, you had Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, they were denouncing it. And now, two years later, the big lie is bigger than ever. You know, there are something 290 candidates out there across the country who support the big lie as a matter of policy. Steve Bannon is training poll watchers, probably not to be objective observers of the polls. Fox News is reporting not only ludicrous big lie related stuff, but by the way, they're sort of reading Vladimir Putin's talking points on the invasion of Ukraine. Nobody in the GOP, with the possible exception of Representatives Cheney and Kinziger, have any seeming intention to stop this. They're all just still on the bandwagon. And, you know, I guess the first question I have for you is, when you're writing Evil Geniuses, did you have any idea that they were really such great geniuses? I mean, <laughs> they really figured it out, you know, and uh, their way seems to be increasingly our way as a country. Well, I'm happy to be on, but, you know, it wasn't, as you know, having read the book, it, it's, a, it's essentially a 50-year history. So it wasn't an overnight thing. It wasn't Donald Trump. It wasn't the extreme right. It was this long-term thing. And I think the people I identify really as the masters of that and the, and the evil geniuses, start, starting with dead ones like Milton Friedman and Robert Bork and others, are people like Mitch McConnell and people like Charles Koch, unlike his dead brother, speaking of dead right-wing evil geniuses, who always used what I call unkindly in the book, the rabble, the rabble, using the rabble began with the Southern strategy in the 60s to use dog whistles to appeal to Southerners and white supremacists and racists, and became less and less a dog whistle slightly, slowly over the years until the last decade or two. And so my, I, I, I think the, the evil geniuses uh, really would prefer that the current state embodied most spectacularly, obviously, by Donald Trump, did not exist. They'd be happier if the one other Republican who stands up for democracy, if you will, elected a Republican in Washington, uh, Mitt Romney, had been president, if people like that were still being president, if Ron DeSantis is closer to a guy that obviously would appeal to them. I think the rabble, the Trumpists, the true Trumpists, I think, to them, to the people I identify as the evil geniuses, the evil geniuses are a bit like Dr. Frankenstein, and, and Trump and all of these people are the monster who have escaped from the lab and causing them some anguish, even though they're still, of course, exploiting 
and trying not to be killed by the monsters they've created. So there's that tension, and it's talked about in journalism as, oh, the tension between establishment Republicans and, and the MAGA. Well, sure, but that's been a, a tension that the people in charge, the evil geniuses, were always in control of until not so much anymore, starting six or seven years ago. So that's, I think, what we see happening. I mean, Charles Koch, the grandest and most geniusy of the evil geniuses and longstanding, they still contribute tens of millions of dollars to Republican candidates, 98% Republican candidates. They still have all their institutional creations, like the Cato Institute and, and the Heritage Foundation and all the rest that are still kicking. And still, in those cases, or in the case of the Heritage Foundation, certainly complicit totally with the MAGAites Trumpists. But they are complicit, but they're, they're in, to some degree, hostages. This is how they, they need to keep those people relatively attached, happy, whatever, to keep trying to win elections until they don't have to win elections democratically anymore, and then they can maybe get rid of them. So that's, I think, what's going on. And, and, I, and, I, and I, of course, when I wrote the book, other book, that is the sort of volume one of my, what a friend of mine calls your fucking of America series, you know, that was also a long time coming. And, and that was organic and, and, and a kind of organic endemic American craziness. This is this, these very non-crazy, non-irrational people focused on how to exploit that, right? Among other things. But they have a very simple focused idea. How do we, the rich and powerful, maximize our wealth and power? And how do we continue doing that? So they have a very simple, in a certain sense, ball to keep their eye on. Whereas these other folks, the Trumpists, they, they don't really have a programmatic vision. They don't. They, they have grievance and complaints and incoherence and whatever made them angry yesterday uh, by the rabble-rousers at Fox News and in the Republican Party. So that tension is just is still there. And, uh, and for now, and if they retake the, con uh, the House and possibly the Senate as well, then the, you know, the Mitch McConnells and Kevin McCarthy's will make do and, and privately bemoan the fact that look what they have. But, but for now, their Frankenstein monsters have given them the power they need and want and crave, and, and that's really all they want. Clearly, now, the next book that Kurt should write in his uh, Buckening of America series is, is Frankenstein, I guess. Frankenstein's uh, <laughs> monster. Um, uh, do you have any advice for him on what that next book should be, or perhaps any questions to follow up on what he just said? The next book I want to read from Kurt is Evil Doofuses. <laughs> and, and to look at the Herschel Walkers and the Doug Mastrianos and how, how do you think it flipped from genius to that guy over there? He, have him run. Well, the, the candidates and the, 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 the various kinds of pawns have never necessarily been geniuses. And we've seen, you know, back in 2010 when they tried to run a bunch of idiots and freaks and idiots. Obviously, they, for a, one cycle, realized the errors of their ways when those people lost. That may not happen now since, since the nuts and the freaks and the idiots have taken over so much of the party. But um, I'm horrified, as all of us are, by the Herschel Walkers of the world and the Blake Masters of the world. They all have fictional names, right? And along with everything else becoming to seem more and more fictional, these guys are, are like 
in a kind of either either I don't know if it's Thomas Pynchon or something pulpy and awful, but they have names that sound like they're from fiction. I mean, there have always been plenty of dopes who who the evil geniuses have used. Herschel Walker being chief among them right now. You know, I don't even comment on Herschel Walker that much. No, because I think he's so damaged. You know, I feel bad. I mean, the guy clearly is not compass mentis. Well, Donald Trump, do, do we feel bad for him? I mean, no. He's not either. I don't feel bad for him. <laughs> okay. But, you know, you make a good point. Same question to you, Marissa, as to know. I think I would like to know about the fucking of the media, actually. And because as I watch television, as I'm part of the media in my strange little way, I see... Even on my very favorite MSNBC, I point towards the TV with me all day long. They say shocking tones about people like Herschel Walker. Terrible thing has happened to him yesterday. This happened to him. It's gonna, and it's just going to shock and damn all of everything. And nothing really happens. I mean, they sort of say it to please me at home, but it's not like it's having an impact on voters because voters aren't really caring. They think it's a really cute story about the bull impregnating so many cows and the shock and horror of it, of somebody actually saying that after an abortion allegations or um, is lost on them. So how do we talk about the media? Not even mentioning old Tucker Mick um, sandwich being used on Russian national television. Well, no one, I mean, Rupert Murdoch, is more responsible for, I mean, you say don't talk about Tucker, because let's talk about what the mainstream and liberal and normal media should or shouldn't be doing. And of course, they made lots of understandable and less excusable mistakes starting in 2016 with Trump. But just as the Democrats didn't understand how to run against the Trump, the, the media didn't understand how to cover such a person. And, and as he has increased and he and his followers and Trumpism have increased their egregiousness and gone lower and lower and become scarier and scarier in what they obviously are willing to do and their lack of principle and all the rest. What do we say? And of course, they, they have always been afraid and remain afraid. And again, somewhat understandably, if we absolutely say what we think all the time, and, and if we're absolutely for too frank, we're only going to be preaching to the choir, which of course, that side could encourages by calling everybody who criticizes their side the fake news, right? It's a tough position. I mean, you know, I would say it's improved, but Lord knows how to do it. I, and and, and it's, it's, it's an individual case. But back to Rupert Murdoch, whom I started to speak about, it's still Fox has the power to, more than any other God knows single media entity, in the form of Fox News, and frankly, to a lesser degree, but not insignificant degree, the Wall Street Journal editorial page to make this, try to make this crazification, this fucking all of it, to slow it down. And they really don't, and they really haven't. And and uh, they're 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 the, the degree to which he they continue to powerfully enable and legitimize this is. Remain shocking. It just remains. I, I never get over being shocked about that. Nell has rightly pointed to the evil doofuses, and Marissa rightly pointed to the evil snake oil salesmen or, or spin doctors or whomever, you, however you would like to characterize the media. But, you know, there's another phenomenon that goes back to your reference to the Cokes or to Rupert Murdoch, but could easily include 
Ron DeSantis, Mike Pompeo, Ted Cruz. There are a bunch of people who went to Harvard. And so what about evil Harvards? Sure. Let's go for it. I mean, it, 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 is, it is remarkable. And again, speaking of something that is like fiction, the, the number of people who went to Harvard College and or Harvard Law School, a lot of Yales in there too, by the way. Just to be Yeah, clear. there are. Yeah. But it's, it's remarkable that these people, who's, who's really beyond the programmatic, let's maximize the wealth and power of the wealthy and powerful, their programmatic thing is, we hate you elites. We hate you liberal elites. Well, as has been said, but it is just jaw-dropping, amazing, the Harvard, Yale, Ivy League elitism of all of these people who aren't really saying it in a, or a J.D. Vance, for that matter, who aren't really saying, yes, I was part of it and I know how evil they are. They're just elighting it and ignoring it. And still, frankly, in some sense, have their stature due to the fact that they're not just some Yahoo, but a guy who went to Harvard Law School. It must be smart, right? And, and it's, yes, it's, it's certainly, among other things, a data point that gives the lie to this idea of, a, of an elite that is some kind of homogeneously liberal thing. Well, and Donald Trump, I suppose, is elite in his own way, but his, his, his lifelong lack of actually making it into the elite is, is authentic. His, his, his resentment over that and his contempt for the elite is it's why he's been so successful. It's legit. And it seems to me Ron DeSantis has a bit of that legitimate chip on his shoulder. I'm an asshole and I hate you people, even though he went to wherever he went to, Yale or whatever. And the people who like didn't go to college or went to bad colleges or or whatever, the 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 the, the non-elite people respond to that because for whatever set of Terrible reasons in the case of a Trump and maybe a case the case of DeSanta. It's legit. They 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 yeah. He's he's just like me in the case of Donald Trump, except he has a bit he has a lot of money. I wasn't going to specify how much he has, but we don't know that, do we? Um, uh, <laughs> well, but and, and, can I jump in? Yeah, sure, please. Because I, I don't think the the Harvard connection I don't think is about intellectualism or maybe even about elitism. I think people who graduate from Harvard and Yale and Princeton don't lack confidence, (laughs) let's just say. And I think they're very confident people. I think they're surrounded by other confident people when they're young and they come out and, you know, that's the basis of con man, that they just exude that sort of confidence that, that allows them to think they should be leaders. Great point. Absolutely true. I have to say, rather, Timothy, that I, just because I went to a Seven Sisters college, and that's not the same. That as it counts. It, it counts. It, it, it counts. I say it counts. Um, the oldest one, I was at Louis' lunch in uh, New Haven this weekend. And I, as I sat there waiting for my cheeseburger with no onions but tomato, I was listening to the youth of Yale chatting. And it was exactly to your point now. It's like everyone sort of boosting each other up, this sort of air of like arrogance and neat fat in the air. Kurt, didn't you write a piece about being in the same class as John Roberts or around the same time and having some hope at the beginning? I I wrote a piece about John Roberts when he was uh, being confirmed. Yeah, I did in New York Magazine. And uh, and yeah, we we were in the same class. And of course, never met him. 
I mean, I don't know, whatever circle he was in, we were in very different circles. And, uh, but yes, my gen back then, back in 2004, whatever that was, you could, you could still kind of hopefully, maybe stupidly, assume that, well, he, he went to Harvard College, at least he won't be whatever. And you could make the argument that, yeah, he, I mean, he's now the best of the six, right? I mean, uh, so, but yes, I did. Uh, although not. But he's the Mitt Romney of the six that you were describing. Correct. Right? He is the Romney of the six. And I'll take, you know, if they were all like Romney and John Robert, or uh, is that his name? John Roberts? Yes. If they were all like that, you know, we would not be in this pickle. And, uh, and well, so, let's not jump to conclusions here. There oh, is, it would, I, I mean, evil geniuses. County decision and Citizens United. Oh, terrible. Ho, ho, exactly. Which are, which are the foundations of our horror show. Grant, well, I don't mean, well, if, frankly, if all the Republicans were like everybody on the Supreme Court, except for, I mean, it depends where you're going to set the bar. I mean, except for maybe, I mean, there's still a belief in the rule of law among several of them, <laughs> you know, on the Supreme Court. I recently looked it up and Romney voted with Trump 80% of the time. So he's 20% better than, and, and I think John Roberts would be the same. Right. Well, yes. But, and again, I don't want to over-defend the, the non-insane, non-fascist Republicans, but they are non-insane and non-fascist. And, and, in the binary world where some, you know, you, you take whoever you can get to be on your side at these existential, at this existential moment, I'll still take them. Yeah, but what you're probably going to get, Marissa, maybe you want to comment on this, turn it into a question for her, but what you're probably going to get is another one of the Harvard Yale types, which is Ron DeSantis. And, you know, he's, Trump doesn't make it. He's the guy. And I don't think he's a genius, but I do think he's evil. I don't know, Marissa, if that's what your take is? Uh, my take is that he probably is using his Harvard smarts and just hiding them. You know, he keeps them in the attic or something like that. So he can use them, but doesn't show them when he's out in public. I think he would be absolutely frightful. Does Do people agree with me? As I mean, I would hate to see him run. I would hate to see him as president. I think he would be have all the evil attributes and smarts. He wouldn't fall all over his tongue. We wouldn't be laughing at him. We'd be like, oh, I guess that's sensible. I mean, the majority of people would probably see him as a real stand-up guy. Yeah, Kurt, you know, you wouldn't even get to write the next book of the fucking because, you know, he's got a very oppressive attitude towards the press. He doesn't let them into press conferences. He tries to silence them. His fascist impulses. By the way, one of the things that I find most interesting in the past couple of years is the overall acceptance of the idea that what's going on here is fascism and just the willingness to use the term. A hundred percent. I remember the first time when I gingerly in 2000, maybe 16 in public, started saying that. And it was like, how dare, you know, it was the Godwin rule and all. It, yeah, it, at least that has changed. At least spades are being called a spade in that sense. I mean, the thing, I mean... You know, yes, Ron DeSantis would be horrible, would be terrible. But like, again, I, I, I mean, so much of my life, and maybe it's just as a result of being old, but is, is like, eh, it could be worse. But it could be worse. I mean, and Donald Trump, president as of, 19, of 2025, would be worse than Ron DeSantis. I just believe with all my heart. So, 
can I ask Kurt a question about spy? Yes, ma'am. Well, well, why were why were you paid more? No, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's number one. Number two, if you were prescient so far ahead of the curve in the very first spy magazine, there was a list of the top 10 most embarrassing New Yorkers, and Donald Trump was on that list. But if you could go back now, do you think ignoring him would have been better than mocking him? Yeah, this is a good question. I want to follow it up because honestly, as you were talking, I was thinking, I blame you guys, I specifically the three of you. Donald Trump was there. He was making money. And at the moment he thought he was going to get accepted into society, you started making fun of him. And it twisted him in such a deep way that the country has paid the price ever since. So it's on you. Well, actually, it's <laughs> people have said this before, sometimes jokingly, sometimes half seriously. And, and my general answer is, well, no, it was we, we tried to kill baby Trump. Yeah. We tried to kill baby <laughs> Trump. We failed. But one thing I do think, to your point, David, is that is, you know, not totally untrue, perhaps, is the fact our, our little spy thing of, of deciding we're going to always call refer to Henry Kissinger as socialite war criminal Henry Kissinger. And then we're always going to refer to Donald Trump as short-fingered Bulgarian Donald Trump. And did that repeatedly. I mean... I don't know. We didn't invent that. And of course, Time Magazine invented it, and we were subverting an old, corny Time Magazine trope. But Donald Trump, Mr. Insult, you know, crooked Hillary and, you know, lying, <laughs> crying Ted and all that. I don't know. I, I, on that small, narrow way, I feel like, yeah, maybe we did give him that idea. But um, no, I think, if, I think if we'd ignored him, uh, he'd, no, nothing, nothing different would have happened. No, I, I don't think it would have. I, I don't think ignoring him in nineteen in our little in our little magazine for a few years would have interfered with his. Century. I'm doubly guilty because I contributed jokes to the 2011 White House Correspondents Dinner, <laughs> where uh, although I did not write any of the Trump mocking jokes, and what's sort of interesting was at the time the big concern was the affordability. Affordable Care Act was about to go in front of the Supreme Court. They were going to rule very soon. And I can tell you, because I, I saw the version on Friday night, and it had a chunk of jokes about the Supreme Court. And then by Saturday night, all those jokes were gone. And of course, they did get through the Affordable Care Act a few months later. And But who knew that the real danger was that whole Trump chunk? I have since that time, uh, maybe when I was writing one of these books, maybe when I was finishing Fantasyland, I rewatched that whole night. And it was amazing to me how mild it was. Because that moment, of course, has become infamous as the moment when he got so angry at Barack Obama, he was decided to run for president and have his revenge. Could be, and I'm sure it figured in his thin-skinned quest. but. Man, he barely, I mean, it was, it was like most of the mocking, most, not all, of the mocking by comedians at the White House Correspondence Center, which is like, eh, you laugh and you go on. And I expected it to be like surprisingly savage. It wasn't at all. The butt is more the show, The Apprentice, than I think Trump himself. It's just, it's just about the kind of decisions he was making. But, you know, there's a, 
there used to be a difference between infamous and famous, and that was obliterated long ago. But now I, I do wonder if there's no difference between being mocked and respected, that the mocking gets you the same amount of celebrity press. Well, that may be so. That may be so. And I, I'd like to come back to that in a moment. But this is normally where we take a little bit of a break. And we say to everybody who's listening, who's not a member, thanks for listening. And please become a member. Go to the dsrnetwork.com, click on membership, $5 a month, you get to hear the rest of every episode. And uh, as you can tell, this is a great conversation. You don't want to miss the rest of it. Um, but unless you're a member, you will. So go join. For those of you who are members, uh, stand by. For those of you who aren't, thanks a lot. 